Hey everyone, welcome. This is Just Human number 250. And after 250 episodes, I definitely know what I'm doing. Don't worry. No more mistakes. It's perfection from here on out, including the mustache. Everything is going to be perfect, right? I have 250 episodes in. I know what I'm doing. I doubt it. Um, <clears throat> we are going to read the Her Report again today. It's going to be part six. We're on chapter 10 of the report. I'm looking forward to it. Had a couple days away from it. And uh, I've been itching to get back to it. I wanted to do it yesterday. I wanted to uh, um, record some more episodes over the weekend. But between the kids, the wifey, and the dogs, that has not been a possibility. I have an opportunity right now. So I'm going to go ahead and record this. And hopefully there's minimal interruption. But fair warning, if I suddenly hit the... If I suddenly say, hey, I gotta, I'll got i be right back and hit the mute button and run away, um, it's because I'm being hollered at. So, thanks for being here. If you like it, if you're on Rumble, hit the thumbs up. If you're interested in supporting the show or getting it as a podcast, go to my um, Substack right here over on my link tree. Or in the description of this show, you can get this program as a Substack audio, I mean, as a podcast, a body audio version. Everything on my Substack is free, but if you would like to support the show uh, via monthly or yearly contribution, Substack is the best way to do that. And thank you to everybody who is a Substack paid subscriber. Also, thank you to everybody who's a free subscriber. We're, I'm almost at 12,000 subscribers on Substack, and that's pretty cool. I appreciate it very much. Another way to support the show, again, these are all all be found in my link tree, is buy me a coffee, buy me a coffee over at ko-fi.com slash just human. It's a great way uh to give support and I really appreciate it. And I also really appreciate all these very kind messages that you guys leave me. Uh so thank you for taking the time to uh write me notes like this. Vincent Honey Farms, I just got some fresh honey in right here. And I am enjoying it in my coffee. Man, I love this honey. I love it. Now, I still buy, I do still buy local honey because I have really bad allergies. And so consuming local honey can help you with allergies. So I still do like have like one teaspoon or one tablespoon of local honey. But when it comes to any kind of pastry or it comes to like regularly putting it in my coffee or tea, um, um, or the honey sticks for an energy boost. It's Benson's honey all day long. This is what I love. Also love their candy, even though I it's really it's really addictive. I just got more of it, and it's gonna go by fast. I also got I also got some of their soap, which I've mentioned before is my second favorite product on there. Their their goat milk honey soap is I, I like bar soap more than I like gel soaps. Besides gel soaps. Gel soap that is really popular has tons and tons of chemicals in it. Uh, so you're literally, you're taking a smell good chemical bath when you use gel soap. Not so when you use uh, Benson Honey Farms honey, or uh, soap, because it's goat milk and honey and uh, whatever fragrance they put in it and vitamin E. And this is the candy cane one. So I'm sure I smell delicious and uh, my dogs will, you know. I'm going to have to watch out. Uh, BensonHoneyFarms.com. Use the affiliate link if you're interested. 
and get yourself some honey or some soap. You guys stink. Now, bootleg products. <laughs> Insulting the audience is always a good way to go in, in marketing and sales. I've learned that. Um, after 250 episodes, I know what I'm doing. Insult the audience and uh, eat honey. Also eat bootleg products. I made, and this is this is true story. This is absolutely true. I made my five year, soon to be five year old, a grilled cheese and egg sandwich the other day that he said was the best sandwich he's ever had in his life. And my secret ingredient in the eggs that made it so delicious was a little bit of sour cream to fluff them up and bootleg taco seasoning. It's about half a teaspoon per egg. You whip that up with a fork and a cup, throw it into the oil in the pan. It's on the heat, off the heat, on the heat, off the heat, on the heat, off the heat. You whip, you mix it up, you scramble it, cheddar on one side of the toasted bread, mozzarella on the other side of the toasted bread, scrambled eggs in the middle together, cut it in half, give it to your five-year-old. They too will say it is the best sandwich they've ever had in their, their life. I guarantee it. Bootleg Products is awesome. Uh, use my affiliate link and any purchase you make here, they'll kick a few dollars my way. I love their chili. I love their salsas and their seasonings. I use them all the time because uh, I cook at home all the time and I love cooking at home. So you guys also love cooking at home. You need to go to Bootleg Products and get some of their stuff. Manly cans. Valentine's Day is over, and if you screwed up and did not get the manly man in your life something manly, then you need to run over to Manly Cans and pick something out or custom order a can and send it to him. Or her. If you have a manly her in your life, you know, no judgment here. Um, at least not on air. Uh, manly Cans is awesome, and if you use my affiliate link, they'll kick a few dollars my way. Lastly, I do have a merch store and there are some hoodies and some hats and some bar glasses and various other things. The best thing on here, though, are the coffee mugs. I absolutely love them. Understanding is greater than reacting. We plan on practicing that here today and in every show. That's one thing that we have nailed after 250 episodes, right? We do understand before we react almost all the time. Uh, the one exception might be when the uh, when Matt Gates is involved. Other than that, I always understand first and react. Uh, never, never, never am I reactionary. Right? I'm sure you guys agree. All right. The Her Report. Chapter 10. I'm in a bit of an odd mood this morning or a giddy mood. I got three hours of sleep. Hercules, my dog. Um, has decided that his voice is something everybody needs to hear all the time. All the time. For no reason at all. It might be that there's somebody outside or a car drove by or a squirrel or he's mad at his toy or he needs to go outside and pee or poop or he's hungry, but he's hungry all the time. Or he may just be barking because he wants to bark because his voice is changing and it's getting bigger and deeper and louder and he likes it and he just likes the sound of his voice and he's telling you about it. 
Um, but he barks at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m. It is currently 10 a.m. He's not barking right now. So I'm hoping he's taking a break. But if you do hear some barking, it's probably Hercules. And Athena, I think, is just as annoyed with him barking this much as we are. I think she's ready, she's ready to put him down. <laughs> um, I don't mean that in the sense that you... I, I shouldn't have said it that way. She's ready to uh, let him know that she's over it. She's over his barking. Um, so anyway, since coming back from New York, uh, things have been a little bit rough at this ho household. Uh, between, between the dogs... Well, one dog barking all the time and the boys are thoroughly annoyed with each other. Uh, so wife and I came back from New York city and immediately were thrust into like just family living, just loud and messes everywhere and kids arguing and dogs arguing, just everything, just everything you would expect. Um, uh, Oh, dad life. But we're going to see how much we can get through that. My goal is to get at least one chapter in. So let's go. Thanks for being here, guys. Chapter 10, historical background. One, historically, former presidents and vice presidents treated all records as personal property. Man, that sounds familiar. I think some guy named Donald J. Trump has said that. For most of our nation's history, presidents and vice presidents treated all records from their respective administrations, including records relating to issues of national security, as personal property that they took with them upon leaving office. A congressionally commissioned study found in 1977 that when leaving office, past presidents routinely took national security files, including, quote, briefing materials for the president, records of negotiations with foreign governments, correspondence with foreign heads of state or government, and correspondence with or directives to agencies within the executive branch on foreign affairs. The practice of outgoing presidents and vice presidents retaining their records was considered reconsidered in the 1970s, culminating in the passage of the Presidential Records Act in 1978. I have some footnote here about Nixon versus United States, which has come up a lot in President Trump's filings. Um, this one here says uh, Nixon versus United States. Uh, D.C. Circuit 1992, remarking upon the, quote, long and unbroken history relating to the use, control, and disposition of presidential papers, and concluding that Mr. Nixon, like every president before him, had a compensable property interest in his presidential papers. Former president's ownership of materials from their administration was a matter of almost unvaried understanding of all three branches of the government since the beginning of the republic. And then from the final report of the National Study Commission on Records and Documents of Federal Officials, March 31st, 1977, quote, the papers of vice presidents of the United States have traditionally been disposed of in the same manner as presidential papers. That is, vice presidents have removed them when they left office. And then before, another footnote, before the Presidential Records and Materials Preservation Act of 1974, which applied only to former President Nixon, quote, Presidents exercised complete dominion and control over their presidential papers. Quote, in 1978, Congress prospectively 
abolished presidential ownership of White House materials with the Presidential Records Act. Back to the, the report. But the act provides that all presidential records, documents created or received by the president or his staff to assist or advise him in carrying out his official duties, belong to the government. In contrast, personal records remain the property of the former office holder. Now, here in this introduction, we have hit upon something that I have been pushing back against a little bit. Um, a lot of people will comment that, well, Biden was vice president, so he can't do this, but Trump can do, do these things because he was president. And as you just heard in these, in these quotes from Nixon v. United States and from what her is writing here, there's no difference when it comes to their personal records. Historically and traditionally, the vice president and the president were able to remove their own personal papers, their own personal records, and take them with them when they left office. So trying to distinguish in this case between what Biden did and what Trump did, there isn't that much, there's not that, that unique issue of, or that point of, well, one was VP, one was P doesn't matter when it comes to personal records because they both were allowed the same privilege on this point. Where it comes into play is declassification. Trump has said he declassified his, the records. And Biden hasn't made that assertion. And Biden can declassify records that originate from his office that he is the original classification authority on. But he cannot declassify uh, documents that were classified by some other agency or authority, DNI, DOD, CIA, FBI, whatever other authority it was that classified that information, Biden doesn't have the power to declassify it as VP. He does, however, have the power to declassify anything that he originally classified. So if he created something and classified it himself, his office classified that information, whatever it was, he has the authority to declassify it. But with Trump, he can do it too. He can declassify anything while he, while he held, held office anyway. So you can dispense with, if you've been making it, if you've been pointing out, uh, you know, just regularly, like with well, the difference here on, on any point about this, if you just throw out, well, Biden was VP, so he can't do it. That doesn't, that doesn't go as far as you may think that it goes. Okay, the act defines personal records to mean all documentary materials or any reasonably segregable portion thereof of a purely private or non-public character which do not relate to or have an effect upon the carrying out of the constitutional, statutory, or other official or ceremonial duties of the president. Such records include, and this is what, Biden would no doubt argue, um, diaries, journals, or other personal notes serving as the functional equivalent of a diary or journal, which are not prepared or utilized for or circulated or communicated in the course of transacting government business. So Biden's notebooks and note cards, he would certainly argue that they are all his personal records. He hand wrote them after all. Now they also contain classified information, which is the rub, but he would still say that those are my records. While the Presidential Records Act marked a turning point in the treatment of presidential materials, as discussed in Chapter 9, 
The act does not exempt former presidents and vice presidents from specific prohibitions on removing, retaining, losing, or disclosing classified and national defense information. To the point to raise about, about Biden in this is not that he was vice president. The point to raise is that the materials he took home contained classified and national classified information and national defense information regardless of whether he was president or vice president he still cannot retain those things after the act's passage at least one former president president reagan left office with his presidential diaries which contained classified information just like biden and stored those diaries in his private home the department of justice the national archives and others knew that President Reagan treated his diaries, which contained classified information, as personal property, but no agency took action to recover the classified materials or to investigate or prosecute the former president. Which is kind of crazy, considering how much the establishment hated him. It still does. Two, the Reagan diaries. The first president subject to the Presidential Records Act, Mr. Reagan, kept a diary in which he wrote an, in, an entry nearly every day while, sir, while he served as president. His diaries contained information that was classified up to the top secret, sensitive compartmented information level, and remained so until 2007 or later, years after Mr. Reagan died. Mr. Reagan took all five volumes of his diaries home with him when he left office, and at that time it was known to the Department of Justice, the Iran-Contra Independent Council, the National Archive and the National Archives that one, Mr. Reagan's diaries contained top secret classified information, and two, Mr. Reagan treated his diaries as personal property that was not in the National Archives' possession. We have a large footnote here that relates to this. So, let's see, other former presidents kept diaries or journals that they took with them after they left office. For example, President H. George H. W. Bush regularly kept a dictated diary that was later quoted extensively in published works. In an interview by George W. Bush with John Meacham, author of the book Destiny and Power, um, John Meacham, Destiny and Power, blah, blah, blah. It's given the full citation. Sorry. I'm trying to find where the... Okay. President Carter also kept a dictated diary that was typed up by his secretary and that he took with him upon leaving office. Mr. Carter published excerpts from that diary keeping the original full version with him at his home and transferring a copy to his presidential library. While there is still some reason to think that the Bush and Carter diaries may have contained classified information, the historical record is clear that Mr. Reagan's diaries did, and the relevant government entities knew of Mr. Reagan's possession of that material. We also examined, that'd be the special counsel, we also examined the practices of other former presidents predating the Presidential Records Act, but we were unable to glean much from that inquiry. Like the key statutory provision, 18 U.S.C. 793E, which is a charge that Trump has been hit with, the modern classification system does not come into being until the mid-20th century. Footnote continues. Two presidents during this period uh, died in office, uh, Roosevelt and John F. Kennedy and several appear to have entered agreements while in office expressly contemplating their continued access to classified information in their presidential papers near after the end of their terms. And they cite a letter from James B. Rhodes and Robin Fleming from Gerald Ford, December 13th, 1976. Oh, 
Uh, what just happened with that? Oh, did I accidentally click the link again? I'm a... Well, I lied. After 250 episodes, I still have not learned to carefully avoid clicking on the links and footnotes of 300-page special counsel reports. A good thing I remember approximately where we were at. We're about halfway through this thing, by the way. Um, giving it a moment to load. Okay, here we go. Oh, see, man. Okay, at least I got that right. I remembered where we were. Okay, we are just over halfway through the special counsel her report. Okay. We also examined blah, blah, blah. Okay. Nor were we able to find specific evidence that the Department of Justice was contemporaneously aware of any instances where these earlier presidents kept classified materials without appropriate safeguards. For these and other reasons, what we have been able to discern about the earlier history sheds little light on the question at hand, and our analysis focuses on the Reagan diaries as the most probative historic example. That makes sense. Okay, so Department of Justice, Iran-Contra Independent Council, National Archives, one, they knew that Mr. Reagan's diaries contained top-secret classified information, and two, that Reagan treated his diaries as personal property that was not in the National Archives' possession. The Department of Justice also repeatedly described the diaries in public court filings as Mr. Reagan's personal records. They don't do that for Trump, do they? Pardon me. Mr. Reagan's personal possession of his diaries and the fact that portions of his diaries were classified up to this top secret level was also known to the Congress and the federal courts. In the wake of the Iran-Contra affair, Mr. Reagan produced relevant excerpts from his diaries to various investigative bodies, including congressional committees and the Independent Council. During the Independent Council's prosecution of former National Security Advisor John Poindexter, Poindexter sought Mr. Reagan's diaries diary entries for purposes of his criminal defense. In numerous public filings and judicial opinions in 1989 and 1990, after Mr. Reagan left office, the Department of Justice and the U.S. District Court both acknowledged that Mr. Reagan's diaries contained information that was classified, including top-secret information about sensitive matters. While this litigation was ongoing, Mr. Reagan was a private citizen living in California, where he kept his diaries at his private home, apparently outside of facilities that were authorized to store top-secret information. According to the editor of the published versions of Mr. Reagan's diaries, quote, for several years after their return to California, the Reagans would often sit together in their den after dinner, reading aloud from their diaries and reminiscing about their White House years. While it is unlikely that, after leaving office, Mr. Reagan's den was approved for the storage of top-secret sensitive compartmented information, Mr. Reagan retained Secret Service protection at his home for the remainder of his life, kind of like Trump. Mr. Reagan maintained the ability to receive and handle classified information after, receiving the, after leaving the White House, as he continued to receive national security briefings at his office space located a few miles from his home, and he consulted with President George H.W. Bush about foreign affairs. Biden should do the same thing with Trump. 
<laughs> Notably, Secret Service agents collected daily intelligence briefings, uh, briefing materials after Mr. Reagan had finished with them and ensured that they were properly destroyed. The wider American public also knew of the existence of Mr. Reagan's diaries. Indeed, the diaries served as sources for at least three publications that Mr. Reagan or his representatives authored. One, An American Life, Mr. Reagan's autobiography published in 1990. Two, Dutch, a biography uh, authored by Edmund Morris and published in 1999. And three, The Reagan Diaries, a collection of the diaries themselves, first published in 2007 after Mr. Reagan's death. Notably, An American Life was being written during the Poindexter litigation and includes dozens of verbatim quotations from Mr. Reagan's diaries. And even as early as 1989, the classified nature of Mr. Reagan's diaries was discernible to any member of the public who read filings and opinions from the Poindexter litigation. Mr. Reagan died in 2004, I remember. In 2005, Nancy Reagan provided his diaries to the late Reagan Library, which is run by the National Archives so that the diaries could be publicly displayed as part of the collection of Mr. Reagan's personal papers. At that time, the archives worked with officials at the National Security Council to identify several pages of material that were still classified up to the top secret, sensitive compartment and information level. Archives officials removed all pages containing classified information from the diaries so that they could be publicly displayed. Meanwhile, a historian reviewed the unclassified portions of Mr. Reagan's diaries and compiled a collection of them for publication in 2007. The Reagan Diaries was a bestseller, and the New York Times and a New York Times article from May 2007 remarked that quote readers can get a retroactive sense of being in on some classified information. Today, anyone can view online the full set of Mr. Reagan's presidential diaries, excluding a small number of excerpts that were redacted for personal reasons or national security concerns. There is no indication that Mr. Reagan acted with any ill intent, attempted to secret away his diaries, or hid their existence or content from appropriate authorities. Quite the opposite. He disclosed the existence of his diaries to several investigative bodies during the Iran-Contra investigations, and during the Poindexter litigation, Mr. Reagan's personal attorneys and the Department of Justice repeatedly asserted that the diaries were Mr. Reagan's personal property. But it was apparent his diaries contained classified information. Indeed, some diaries in, diary entries specifically described information recorded there as very hush-hush or top secret. Some entries were obviously classified at the time he wrote them. Some continued to be classified until at least 2007. And some contained national security information that appears to be sensitive to this day. Footnote, we reviewed some of the materials that were deemed to be classified at the top secret sensitive compartment information level when the National Security Council conducted pre-publication review for the Reagan Diaries. While we did not submit those unpublished entries for a new classification review, the subject matter appears to us to be sensitive even today. And then December 1st, 2023, National Security Council production of classified excerpts from the Reagan Diaries. Additionally, National Archives officials seem to have inquired about the classification status of the diaries in 2022 and were told that the diaries remained classified at the top secret sensitive compartmented information level. And it quotes a NARA interview, uh, an interview with a NARA uh, employee. All right, chapter 11, let's go. Analysis of the evidence 
classified Afghanistan documents. I am going to add more honey to my coffee because it is delicious. Vincent's honey. Use my affiliate link. All right, chapter 11, analysis of the evidence, classified Afghanistan documents, part one, introduction. There is evidence that after his vice presidency, Mr. Biden willfully retained marked classified documents about Afghanistan and unmarked classified handwritten notes in his notebooks, both of which he stored in unsecured places in his home. He had no legal authority to do so, and his retention of these materials and disclosure of classified information from his notebooks to his ghostwriter risked serious damage to America's national security. But the evidence falls short of proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. Biden retained and disclosed these classified materials willfully. The department's prior treatment of former presidents and vice presidents who kept national security materials also counsels uh, against prosecution of Mr. Biden, as do the most relevant aggravating and mitigating facts presented here. Therefore, under established department principles, we decline criminal charges against Mr. Biden relating to the classified Afghanistan documents and his classified notebooks. We would do so even if we were not bound by the Office of Legal Counsel's legal conclusion that a sitting president may not be charged with federal crimes. So I want everybody to kind of keep that in mind. Um, if, you, if you're under the impression that Special Counsel Herr was going to bring criminal charges against Biden while Biden was in office. You were mistaken. That was actually never a thing that could have potentially happened. Uh, what could have happened is they could have referred charges or um, made referrals for charges to DOJ. And those would have hung over Mr. Biden's head until after the, his presidency ended. Um. But sitting presidents, it is, it's, it's been this way for 20 plus years, I think, um, that DOJ has a policy of not charging sitting presidents with crimes because it's, um, it's a conflict of interest and it's the, it's, they're, he's over the executive branch with the, which the DOJ exists in. So you need them to be outside of the executive branch before you charge them. Um, which is kind of funny to look back on and think about the Mueller special counsel and how everybody thought that he was after Trump when he was never after Trump. And even if he had been after Trump, which he wasn't, he still could not have charged Trump. Uh, but he was never after Trump. He was after the people who tried to frame Trump. And most of you who watch this program are aware of that. But Main point here with uh, as regards to the Afghanistan documents is that Special Counsel Hearst says that the evidence they have falls short of proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. Biden retained and disclosed these classified materials willfully. They would need to prove that not only did Mr. Biden retain this classified information, they would also have to prove that Biden disclosed it willfully. Uh, also, that's true with Trump which is another reason why his charges are absurd because there is no proof that he um, retained them intentionally. One, two, that he disclosed them or was seeking to disclose them willfully. All right. In reaching these conclusions, we consider two questions. First, 
whether the evidence proves beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime occurred, and then, if so, whether criminal charges are warranted. Thus, the Department of Justice manual requires federal prosecutors to determine whether the person under investigation committed a federal offense and whether the admissible evidence will probably be sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction. By the way, Trump has raised points about how Jack Smith's indictments, particularly the Docs case one, if I recall correctly, goes against the Department of Justice recommendation, goes against their manual. Next, the manual directs prosecutors to evaluate relevant aggravating and mitigating facts and to determine whether criminal charges are supported by a substantial federal interest. A prosecutor should seek criminal charges only after considering each of these questions and making a policy judgment that the fundamental interests of society require the application of federal criminal law to a particular set of circumstances. We address the first question, the sufficiency of the evidence for the classified Afghanistan documents immediately below. Then for the classified notebooks in chapter 12, we discuss the second question, whether criminal charges are otherwise warranted for both sets of classified materials in chapter 13. Part two, there is evidence that Mr. Biden willfully retained the classified Afghanistan documents. In a recorded conversation on February 16th, 2017, at Mr. Biden's rental home in Virginia, Mr. Biden told Mark Zwanitzer that Mr. Biden had, quote, just found all the classified stuff downstairs. According to what Mr. Biden told Zwanitzer, quote, all the classified stuff related to President Obama's 2009 decision to surge American troops to Afghanistan and to a pivotal moment when Mr. Biden sent President Obama his handwritten Thanksgiving memo opposing the troop surge. Photos of the Virginia home show that the lowest level downstairs where Mr. Biden told Zwanitzer he had just found all the classified stuff, included rooms that Mr. Biden used as work and storage spaces. Six years later, during his, this criminal investigation, the FBI recovered marked classified documents relating to the debate over the 2009 Afghanistan troop surge in a box in Mr. Biden's Delaware garage. The classified documents were in folders that also contained drafts of Mr. Biden's Thanksgiving memo, other source documents for that memo, and other memos establishing Mr. Biden's strong contemporaneous opposition to the surge. The folders of classified Afghanistan documents appear to be files of Mr. Biden's creation, labeled in his handwriting, and containing mem memos and intelligence products he removed from the ordinary flow of paper he received as vice president. Inside Mr. Biden's home office, agents found his AFPAC-1 notebook with the classified Thanksgiving memo tucked inside. In the same box in the garage where FBI agents found the classified Afghanistan documents, agents also found other documents of great personal importance to Mr. Biden, including photos of his son, Beau, and documents Mr. Biden filed, accessed, and used in early 2017, during the same time he told Zwanitzer he found the classified documents about Afghanistan in his Virginia home. The evidence suggests that Mr. Biden maintained these files himself. Mr. Biden had a strong motive to keep the classified Afghanistan documents. He believed President Obama's 2009 troop surge was a mistake on par with Vietnam. He wanted the record to show that he was right about Afghanistan, that his critics were wrong, and that he had opposed President Obama's mistaken decision forcefully when it was made, that his judgment was sound when it mattered most. This evidence provides grounds to believe that Mr. Biden willfully retained the marked classified documents about Afghanistan. If he was not referring to those documents later found in his garage, 
when he told Zwanitzer he had, quote, just found all the classified stuff downstairs. It is not clear what else Mr. Biden could have been referring to. That's an interesting thought. If Biden wasn't referring to those documents, then which ones were his, was he referring to? Seems pretty conclusive. It was the Afghanistan stuff. But if we later learned that there was other things he was referring to, uh, remember that line. Nevertheless, for the reasons below, we believe this evidence is not strong enough to establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Part three, the evidence falls short of establishing Mr. Biden's willful retention of the classified Afghanistan documents beyond a reasonable doubt. In February 2017, when Mr. Biden told Zwanitzer he had just found all the classified stuff downstairs, Mr. Biden was at his home in Virginia. In December 2022, the FBI recovered the marked classified documents about Afghanistan in the garage of Mr. Biden's home in Delaware, nearly six years later, and over 100 miles away. When the FBI recovered the documents in 2022, Mr. Biden was the sitting president, and he was authorized to have classified documents in his private home. Thus, any criminal charges would most plausibly depend on Mr. Biden's possession of the Afghanistan documents in his Virginia home in 2017 when he was not in office. There are at least three defenses likely to create reasonable doubt as to such charges. First, Mr. Biden could have found the classified Afghanistan documents at the Virginia home in 2017 and then forgotten about them soon after. This could convince some reasonable jurors that he did not willfully retain them. Second, Mr. Biden might not have retained the classified Afghanistan documents in the Virginia home at all. They could have been stored without his knowledge at his Delaware home since the time he was vice president. This would rebut charges that he willfully retained the documents in Virginia. Finally, Mr. Biden could have found only some of the classified Afghanistan documents in the Virginia home in 2017, the ones in the Manila Afghanistan folder found in the garage box, and it's unclear whether this folder contained national defense information. This too would rebut charges that he willfully retained national defense information, as required by the criminal statute. We discuss each potential defense in turn. A. Mr. Biden may have found the classified documents in Virginia in February 2017 and then forgotten about them. It is possible that Mr. Biden encountered the classified Afghanistan documents at the Virginia home in February 2017, told Juan about them, and then soon after forgot about them and did not willfully retain them. While such a swift and permanent bout of forgetfulness may seem implausible, several pieces of evidence provide some support for this possibility. If Mr. Biden discovered classified documents at the Virginia home on February 16, 2017, when he told Zwanitzer he had just found all the classified stuff downstairs, it may not have been something he found memorable. Mr. Biden, after all, had seen classified documents nearly every day for the previous eight years. As vice president, he regularly and permissibly kept classified documents in his home. When he spoke to Zwanitzer in February 2017, Mr. Biden had left the White House less than a month earlier. After more than 40 years in the highest ranks of government, he was accustomed to having staff members attend to the details of handling, storing, and retrieving classified documents. For a person of his position, the presence of classified documents might not have been noteworthy, and it may have seemed natural that someone else would inevitably take care of it, because, for Mr. Biden, that is how it had always worked. 
In response to this defense, the government could note that several weeks before the February 2017 conversation with Kwanitzer, just after leaving the vice president, Mr. Biden returned different classified material he found in the Virginia home, giving a slim binder of material possibly relating to foreign leader calls back to his personal aide to return to the White House. One explanation is that Mr. Biden returned the binder of foreign leader calls because he did not care about it, whereas he intentionally kept the classified Afghanistan documents because he cared about them a great deal. But another inference the evidence permits is that Mr. Biden returned the binder of classified material to the personal aide because, after leaving office, Mr. Biden did not intend to retain any marked classified documents. As Mr. Biden said in his interview with our office, if he had found marked classified documents after the vice presidency, quote, I would have gotten rid of them. I would have gotten them back to their source. I had no purpose for them, and I think it would be inappropriate for me to keep clearly classified documents. Some reasonable jurors may credit this statement and conclude that if Mr. Biden found the classified Afghanistan documents in his Virginia home, he forgot about them rather than willfully retained them. Mr. Biden's own words to Zwanitzer provide some support for this conclusion. In the recorded conversation with Mr. Biden, or when Mr. Biden told Zwanitzer he had just found the classified stuff downstairs, Mr. Biden's tone was remarkably casual. His sole reference to this discovery of classified documents was this brief aside. Mr. Biden did not sound surprised or concerned by the documents he referenced. While reasonable jurors could draw different conclusions from Mr. Biden's seeming nonchalance, one conclusion is that Mr. Biden discovered classified documents. It's if he discovered those. It simply was not significant to him and was something he could have quickly forgotten. After all, the Afghanistan documents and the 2009 troop search played no role in Promise Me, Dad, the book Mr. Biden wrote with Zwanitzer in early 2017. There was no reason to believe Mr. Biden intended to discuss the 2009 Afghanistan troop debate in his book, which, as explained in Chapter 5, covered his experiences in 2014 and 2015. In dozens of hours of recorded conversations with Zwanitzer in 2016 and 2017, when Mr. Biden talked about a vast array of topics, the Afghanistan documents never came up again. This may suggest that after February 16, 2017, the documents were simply not on Mr. Biden's mind. Mr. Biden's memory also appeared to have significant limitations, both at the time he spoke to Zwanitzer in 2017, as evidenced by their recorded conversations, and today, as evidenced by his recorded interview with our office. Mr. Biden's recorded conversations with Zwanitzer from 2017 are often painfully slow, with Mr. Biden struggling to remember events and straining at times to read and relay his own notebook entries. In his interview with our office, Mr. Biden's memory was worse. He did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended. If it was, quote, if it was 2013, when did I stop being vice president? And forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term began, quote, in 2009, am I still vice president? He did not remember, even within several years, when his son Bo died and his memory appeared hazy when describing the Afghanistan debate that was once so important to him. Among other things, he mistakenly said he, quote, had a real difference of opinion with General Carl Eikenberry, when in fact Eikenberry was an ally 
whom Mr. Biden cited approvingly in his Thanksgiving memo to President Obama. In a case where the government must prove that Mr. Biden knew he had possession of the classified Afghanistan documents after the vice presidency and chose to keep those documents, knowing he was violating the law, we expect that at trial his attorneys could emphasize these limitations in his recall. We also expect many jurors to be struck by the place where the Afghanistan documents were ultimately found in Mr. Biden's Delaware home, in a badly damaged box in the garage near a collapsed dog crate, a dog bed, a Zappos box, an empty bucket, a broken lamp wrapped with duct tape, potting soil, and synthetic firewood. A reasonable juror could conclude that this is not where a person intentionally stores what he supposedly considers to be important classified documents, critical to his legacy. Rather, it looks more like a place a person stores classified documents he has forgotten about or is unaware of. We have considered and investigated the possibility that the box was intentionally placed in the garage to make it appear to be there by mistake, but the evidence does not support that conclusion. Finally, Mr. Biden's cooperation with our investigation will likely cause some jurors to conclude that the Afghanistan documents were in his Delaware home by mistake, which, was consi- which is consistent with him forgetting about the documents soon after he discovered them in the Virginia home. Most significantly, Mr. Biden self-reported to the government that the Afghanistan documents were in his Delaware garage and consented to searches of his home to retrieve them and other classified materials. He also consented to searches of other locations, and later in the investigation, he participated in an interview with our office that lasted more than five hours and provided written answers to most of our additional written questions. Many will conclude that a president who knew he was illegally storing classified documents in his home would not have allowed a search of his home to discover these documents and and then answered the government's questions afterwards. While various parts of this argument are debatable, We expect the argument will carry real force for many reasonable jurors. These jurors will conclude that Mr. Biden, a powerful, sophisticated person with access to the best advice in the world, would not have handed the government classified documents from his own home on a silver platter if he had willfully retained those documents for years. Just as a person who destroys evidence and lies often proves his guilt, a person who produces evidence and cooperates will be seen by many to be innocent. To prove that Mr. Biden willfully retained the Afghanistan documents, the government must establish that he acted, quote, with a bad purpose either to disobey or to disregard the law. Reasonable jurors could conclude that Mr. Biden discovered the Afghanistan documents in his Virginia home and then forgot about them almost immediately. Such jurors would likely acquit him. Part B, the classified documents may never have been in the Virginia home. The second potential defense argument that Mr. Biden may not have retained the classified Afghanistan documents in the Virginia home at all. While there is evidence that he did, most notably his recorded statement to Zwanitzer in February 2017, that evidence is not conclusive. First, as discussed in Chapter 7, while the evidence provides clues that Mr. that uh, the classified Afghanistan documents were stored in the Virginia home. There is no definitive evidence putting them there. 
Beyond the Zwanitsa recording, no witness, photo, email, text message, or other evidence establishes that the documents were ever stored in Virginia. When considering charges that Mr. Biden willfully retained the document, classified documents in the Virginia home in February 2017, this absence of additional direct evidence that the documents were in the Virginia home in February 2017 is significant. Second, the Zwanitzer recording itself is not conclusive. When writing Promise Me Dad, Zwanitzer recorded dozens of hours of conversation with Mr. Biden, and those recordings show that Mr. Biden's statements were often imprecise and his meaning was not always clear. That was particularly true when Mr. Biden spoke elliptically or in his asides, as he did when he briefly referenced finding, quote, all the classified stuff downstairs. Given Mr. Biden's tendency towards loose talk with Zwanitzer and Mr. Biden's limited precision and recall during his interview with our office, reasonable jurors may hesitate to place too much evidentiary weight on a single eight-word utterance to Zwanitzer from almost seven years ago, in the absence of other, more direct evidence. Third, there are, are alternative explanations for Mr. Biden's statement to Zwanitzer that do not involve the classified Afghanistan documents later found in the Delaware garage. For example, Mr. Biden could have been referring to the collection of handwritten notebooks he kept when he was vice president. As discussed in Chapter 4, Mr. Biden retained more than a dozen such notebooks, which contained his handwritten notes from the president's daily brief and White House Situation Room meetings. Some of these notes were themselves classified. One of those notebooks was his AFPAC-1 notebook, which contained his detailed notes about the 2009 Afghanistan Policy Review and a copy of the handwritten Thanksgiving memo. Mr. Biden explained in his interview with our office that he believed he gathered his notebooks in the Virginia home after moving in, which was at around the same time he met with Zwanitzer in February 2017. And we know from his recorded conversations with Zwanitzer that Mr. Biden planned to, and did, refer to some of his notebooks regularly while writing this book. Thus, some evidence suggests that when Mr. Biden told Zwanitzer he had, quote, just found all the classified stuff downstairs, he could have been referring to his collection of notebooks, including his AFPAC-1 notebook, which contained classified information. As explained in Chapter 12, we do not believe there are viable criminal charges against Mr. Biden for willfully retaining classified information in the notebooks. This would make the notebook explanation a potentially successful defense. Another possible explanation is that Mr. Biden could have been referring to a slim binder of classified documents he found in the Virginia home shortly after leaving office and gave to his personal aide to return to the White House. As discussed above, this appears to have happened several weeks before Mr. Biden's recorded statement to Zwanitzer in February 2017. This explanation seems improbable, as Mr. Biden said he just found the classified materials, uh, which typically suggests more recency, a matter of hours or days, rather than several weeks. And the personal aide recalled that Mr. Biden handed him a single slim binder or folder of material, which the aide believed related to calls with foreign leaders in the last week of the administration. It is unlikely Mr. Biden was referring to such a small amount of material when he said he just found all the classified stuff downstairs, and it would have been a non-secretor during a conversation about his decision-making in Afghanistan in 2009. But our assessment that the explanation seems unlikely does not make it unreasonable, and reasonable jurors could conclude that Mr. Biden's statement to Zwanitzer referred to, a classified, referred to classified information Mr. Biden had already found and returned. 
Mr. Biden could also point to the possibility that the classified Afghanistan documents were never in Virginia, but were stored elsewhere without his knowledge. For example, tucked away in his Delaware home since the time he was vice president. We cannot rule out that possibility. As discussed in Chapter 7, if the documents were somewhere in the Delaware home for many years, someone must have moved them to the garage box after the move from Virginia home, from the Virginia home to the Delaware home in July 2019, because that is likely when the garage box arrived in Delaware. But it is impossible, or it is possible for Mr. Biden or others to move to have moved the Afghanistan documents to the garage without carefully reviewing the files or realizing they contain marked classified documents. As explained in chapters 14, 15, and 16, our investigation has revealed several other instances of Mr. Biden and others making similar filing mistakes. Unlike most defendants in classified mishandling cases, Mr. Biden was allowed to have classified documents in his home for eight years as vice president. He also had layers of staff who were responsible for assembling, carrying, storing, and retrieving the types of classified materials found among the Afghanistan documents. Even if Mr. Biden intended to keep the Afghanistan documents for some time while he was vice president to help him write the 2009 Thanksgiving memo, for example, or as reference material for the Afghanistan policy debates to come in the latter years of the Obama administration, it remains possible that Mr. Biden lost track of the documents in the nearly eight years that followed and that he did not know he still had them after leaving office. Mr. Biden's house was also filled with paperwork and other materials from almost five decades in government service. He kept boxes of files from nearly every political campaign he ran between 1972 and 2012, files documenting his more than 30 years in the Senate, files from his eight years as vice president, and files relating to his family, his house, his car, and his pets. It is possible the Afghanistan documents, which were in ordinary folders that were not packaged or marked as containing classified information, were needles in the haystack of Mr. Biden's papers. While it is natural to assume that Mr. Biden put the Afghanistan documents in the box on purpose and that he knew they were there, there is in fact a shortage of evidence on these points. We do not know why, how, or whom the documents were placed in the box, or by whom they were placed in the box. We do not know whether or when Mr. Biden carefully reviewed the box's contents. We do not know why only some of Mr. Biden's classified Afghanistan memos to President Obama from the fall 2009 were found in the box, but several other memos he wrote during that time were not. And we do not know why Mr. Biden would have wanted to keep some of the other classified, marked classified documents in the box in particular classified documents relating to President Obama's second-term foreign policy goals, which was kept in a folder right next to the Afghanistan documents, and which served no particular purpose of Mr. Biden's, of which we are aware. The location of the box containing Afghanistan documents in a seemingly random place in the Delaware garage and Mr. Biden's cooperation with our investigation, both discussed above, could, pro could provide additional reasons for jurors to conclude that the Afghanistan documents were stored in the Delaware home without Mr. Biden's knowledge and were not in Virginia in 2017. Part C. Mr. Biden may not have found the facts first folder containing national defense information. A reasonable juror could also conclude that even if Mr. Biden found classified documents about Afghanistan in his Virginia home in February 2017 
And even if he remembered he had them after that day, and even if they were the same documents found in his garage six years later and 100 miles away in Delaware, there is a shortage of evidence that he found both the Afghanistan folder and the Facts First folder. This is important because even though the Afghanistan folder contained documents that were marked classified in 2009, there are serious questions about whether those particular documents remain sensitive today or when Mr. Biden met with Zwanitzer in 2017. Thus, the Afghanistan folder alone is not a strong basis upon which to prosecute Mr. Biden for willfully retaining national defense information. And if Mr. Biden saw only the Afghanistan folder and not the facts first folder, which did not, which did contain national defense information, he did not willfully retain such national defense information. This quote, only one folder defense is not very strong, but it does find some support in the evidence. Mr. Biden spoke of finding all the classified stuff downstairs in the context of telling Zwanitzer about the 2009 handwritten Thanksgiving memo. And the folder most closely associated with that memo is the Afghanistan folder, which held the raw materials that we know Mr. Biden must have relied on when writing the Thanksgiving memo. The Afghanistan folder contained previous handwritten and typewritten drafts of the Thanksgiving memo, some of which were incorporated nearly word for word in the final document. The folder also held a November 2009 memo from Mr. Biden's communications director, and Mr. Biden incorporated portions of this memo, again, nearly word for word, into the final Thanksgiving memo. Thus, the evidence establishes that Mr. Biden used the documents in the Afghanistan folder to write the 2009 Thanksgiving memo to President Obama. Mr. Biden probably also used the documents in the Facts First folder when writing the Thanksgiving memo, but the connection between that folder and the memo is not as strong. The Facts First folder contains numerous documents relevant to the memo, but none of them are documents Mr. Biden must have used. And most of the materials in the Facts First folder were from the September 2009, from September 2009, two months before Mr. Biden wrote the Thanksgiving memo. Based on this difference between the two folders, some reasonable jurors may conclude that when Mr. Biden told Zwanitzer he had just found all the classified stuff downstairs, he may have been referring only to the Afghanistan folder, which reminded him of his Thanksgiving memo. The Afghanistan folder contained roughly a dozen marked classified documents, which could correspond to Mr. Biden's reference to all the classified stuff he found. And if Mr. Biden find the, found the Afghanistan folder, it is possible he did not continue looking through the contents of the separate Facts First folder, whose cover had no label or other indication that the materials inside related to Afghanistan. None of these possibilities are particularly plausible. There is no reason to think, for example, that after identifying the contents of the Afghanistan folder, Mr. Biden stopped looking through folders that were nearby, including the Facts First folder, and that he never returned to these materials. But reasonable jurors who are unwilling to read too much into Mr. Biden's brief aside to Zwanitzer, I just found all the classified stuff downstairs, may find a shortage of evidence to establish that Mr. Biden looked through the Facts First folder, which is the only folder known to contain national defense information. These jurors would acquit Mr. Biden or willfully retaining, for, of willfully retaining national defense information from the Facts First folder. D. For other reasons, a jury will be unlikely to unanimously, unanimously convict Mr. Biden. 
Several additional facts would make it difficult for the government to present a case that reasonable jurors would unanimously find compelling. First, the Afghanistan documents are now almost 15 years old. While there is evidence that some national defense information, in general, may concern a conflict that is now over in a country where there are no longer any American troops about a subject, the 2009 troop surge, that has largely been widely discussed in books and media reports. At a trial, we expected defense would strongly challenge whether the documents still contain national defense information. Second, Mr. Biden was allowed to have the Afghanistan documents in his home for eight years as vice president. And when the documents were discovered in his home in December 2022, he was again allowed to have them there as president. To prevail, the government must convince a jury to convict him for having the documents in his home in between February 2017, about a month after he left the White House, because of the possibility that even if Mr. Biden discovered the Afghanistan documents, he might have forgotten about them soon after. Any criminal charges would likely be limited to the days or perhaps weeks surrounding his conversation with Zwanitzer in 2017. It may be difficult to convince a jury they should care about Mr. Biden's brief, illicit possession of documents from 2009, particularly since he was allowed to possess the same documents both before 2017 as vice president and after as president. Third, as discussed to some extent above, Mr. Biden will likely present himself to the jury as he did during our interview with our when, during the interview with our office as a sympathetic well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory while he is and must be accountable for his actions he is after all the president of the united states based on our direct observations of him mr biden is someone for whom many jurors will want to search for reasonable doubt it would be difficult to convince a jury they should convict him. By then, a former president, who will be at least well into his 80s, of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness. Finally, while jurors might not find reasonable doubt in any of the evidentiary shortcomings identified above, some jurors may find reasonable doubt because of the cumulative effect of some or all of these shortcomings. Part E, there is also insufficient evidence that Mr. Biden willfully retained the handwritten Thanksgiving memo. As explained in Chapter 6, inside the office of Mr. Biden's Delaware home, agents found his AFPAC-1 notebook, which contained his handwritten notes about the 2009 Afghanistan troop reviews. In the front of the notebook, binder clipped together, were the pages of the handwritten 2009 Thanksgiving memo in which Mr. Biden made his final arguments to President Obama opposing the Afghanistan troop surge. The Thanksgiving memo discussed a November 2009 State Department cable, and the cable itself, which is marked as confidential, is clipped to the memo. In Mr. Biden's interview with our office, he said he guessed he wanted to hang on to the Thanksgiving memo for posterity's sake, because this was my position on Afghanistan. The handwritten memo, though, unmarked, contains information that remains classified up to the secret level. The State Department cable shows a declassification date of November 2019, but the State Department has been unable to tell us if it has been formally declassified. 
Hmm. Remember earlier we read that it said the National Security Council doing the classification review, it was the State Department. Interesting that there's a note saying that it's de- this, this particular thing is declassified. Though the handwritten Thanksgiving memo has been determined to be currently classified, we cannot prove that Mr. Biden believed it was classified after leaving office in 2017. The memo was derived from at least one document that was marked as classified in 2009. But during his interview with our office, Mr. Biden said he did not consider the memo classified when he discussed it with his ghostwriter. The memo concerned deliberations from more than seven years earlier about the Afghanistan troop surge. And in the intervening years, those deliberations have been widely discussed in public. So, Mr. Biden could have reasonably expected that the memo's contents became less sensitive over time. Because we cannot prove that he knew the memo was classified when he left office, we cannot prove that by retaining the memo, he willfully retained national defense information. As for the State Department cable, it does not appear to contain national defense information today and there is no reason to believe it did in 2017. Therefore, the cable cannot be the subject of a willful retention charge under Section 793E. In addition, Mr. Biden told us in his interview that he does not recognize the the marking confidential as a classification marking. To him, the marking means the document should be held in confidence, but not necessarily that it is classified. Although confidential is, in fact, a category of classified information enumerated in the governing executive order, we would likely be unable to refute Mr. Biden's claim that he did not know this. Hmm. I kind of take, take issue with that last line right there. All right. We conclude that the evidence is insufficient to meet the government's burden in accordance with the justice manual, because we do not believe the government is likely to obtain a conviction at trial. We decline prosecution. Okay. I wanted to read that, that thing in full without giving too much commentary. Because I I wanted to let it, sorry, I'm yawning. I wanted to let it speak for itself. I I just wanted to let that section speak for itself. Let her make the case without me commentating one way or the other. Um, and honestly, I, I, I mean, I'm no, I'm no special counsel attorney or prosecutor. Um, nor am I an expert in any of these things, just, just human. Uh, but I, I 100% concur with everything special counsel her wrote as to why he declines prosecution, except for this very last line about it being difficult to prove that Biden was aware that confidential was a category of comfort of classified information. And it didn't just mean keep it secret. like. Um, but I do understand that, um, 
I do understand that for uh, a layman, for anybody who's not used to discussing things that are classified, I think all of us that are, if you're watching this, you've gotten a, um, we've all kind of been through some sort of class, um, informal as it may be, over the past couple of years. We've all kind of gone through this uh, a schooling in classification because of Trump's case and because of this and other things. So like for us discussing classified stuff, we're like, well, yeah, of course, you know, we, we become accustomed to, to it and what the terms are. And so did Biden, but a juror, a regular, normal, reasonable juror. I would, I, how many Americans do you think know that when they see, when someone sees class confidential on a document, that it actually is a classification marking. So, uh, but that's a small thing. Uh, overall, I concur with everything uh, Special Counsel Her just wrote as to why they're declining to prosecute Biden. It makes complete sense to me. Um, I totally get it. I also think it works in Trump's favor in his own case. I expect that Trump will cite the Special Counsel Her, especially this section perhaps, uh, in his own case. I also think this section was particularly harmful to Biden. And I know that, you know, if you're watching the news around the time this report came out, we're all aware we were all, we were all familiar with those sections about Biden's memory and recall that they were so devastating to him. Um, so harmful that he did an emergency press conference to try and refute these sections that were personally harmful to him and failed miserably and only further confirmed them. Um, I personally do think that Mr. Biden's memory loss is an act. Um, but hell, I could be wrong about that. Uh, I, either way, it doesn't matter. Whether it's an act or not, uh, what an embarrassing chapter for him. It's kind of crazy to say that, you know, a special counsel is actually saying we decline to prosecute someone, not because we think they're innocent, but because we can't prove um, the evidence doesn't isn't strong enough for us to get a conviction. We don't believe, you know, special counsel her isn't saying that we think Biden is innocent. He's saying that the evidence we have is not sufficient to convict him because a jury would be likely buy into these very defenses. Um. And then he's also saying that Mr. Biden can't remember shit. <laughs> and he's the president of the United States. It's so, it's so bad for Biden. It's so bad. Uh, I don't know this for sure. This is kind of my pet theory, but you guys know that I... I believe that Hunter flipped on his dad um, and intentionally turned in evidence on his crime family. And I think part of the punishment for that, um, the punishment that he does, I don't think that means he gets off scot-free at all. Uh, what I do think it means is that instead of Well, how do I say this? What I think, I think what we're getting 
in a lot of ways is the public airing out of this family's skeletons closet you know I, I think we're getting the public disclosure um and airing out of their dirty laundry um and that that's the pun like the punishment a big part of the punishment is all of this stuff coming out in the way it is this very public display of the dysfunctionality of the um memory loss of the corruption And I think this is just another installment in that. I'm trying to decide if I want to do, if I want to go ahead and read chapter 12. Let me see how long it is. Cause my voice is a little bit, my throat's hurting a little bit despite the honey. Um, I've just been talking a lot lately. So. Let me see. Yeah, this chapter goes on for a little while. All right, we're going to stop here at chapter 12. What was that? Two, page 232. Not quite. 226? 227. Okay. Let's stop right here at chapter 12 for now. And then I need to give my, my throat a, a break. Give my voice a break and check on these kids and then um record another installment my goal is my honest honestly my goal is to finish our reading of the special counsel her report this week so that i can uh read some other stuff catch us up on some other cases and then prepare for um us to get into julian assange whose extradition hearing is tomorrow and on cue there are my dogs so, all right. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but he's howling. Who knows what about? All right, folks, if you enjoyed this reading, hit the thumbs up on Rumble. Visit my support links and uh, I'll, I'll be back. Hopefully I'll be back later today with another episode in this series. I'm really enjoying it and I hope you guys are too. You grab this exit music. All right. Y'all have a blessed day. Remember, we're not going to win every battle. We are going to win this war. I'll see you again soon.